named our podcast the World Class Agency Podcast, not because we thought we were world class, but because we try and get closer to it every conversation that we have. What does World Class Estate Agency look like to you? World Class Estate Agency is all about people. The good estate agents add, adds an incredible amount of value to the consumer. He's, he's looking after the customer properly, so being approachable, being accessible. And for me, every day's a learning day. What does being a world-class agent mean to you? Hello and welcome to today's episode of the World-Class Agency Podcast. My name is Mark I'm joined by Sam Hunter. Sam, good morning, my friend. How are you? Good morning, Mark. Hello, listeners. Uh, very well, thank you. Nice to be back on a... Oh, I was going to say like a sunny Tuesday morning, but it's just a typical 2021 British summer's day here where it's like 16 degrees and overcast. So <laughs> seems yeah, a bit nicer where you are. Well, no, you're probably right. Probably same here. Given that we're up north, it'll probably be a couple of degrees colder. But <laughs> um, yeah, talking of cooling, there's the market cooling. We've, we've had in the last week um, the classic estate agency competition overvaluing and undercutting on fees which a few members of our team are, are struggling with so thought we could probably talk about that a little bit with the intro because i imagine there are a lot of estate agents experiencing exactly the same thing at, at the moment and my advice to our team is you i've never been one that can justify the overvaluing side of things i know it's challenging at, at the moment because the market has risen so much um but it's always just something that's really Become very difficult to me because I, I have my opinion the way that I work this is my opinion on price I'll be honest and, and talk you through it and then you lose it by 5, 10, 20 grand whatever it might be and the other person is, is cheaper than you so I know that you we talked last week about a bit of an idea on, on valuation to sort of stand out and wonder if you perhaps could, could run us through that so this was um, and I think actually that situation you described is exactly how you described um, it's very common and it is perhaps um, it, it's challenging to overcome, I think, because a lot of people have the mindset of, you know, I'll sell my house for the most money and I'll hopefully I'll end up paying as little as possible to do so, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's then, a challenge. And most of the time, those people, and, and this is the really important thing to remember, they see some value in what you do because otherwise they would have just done themselves with an online or a hybrid or something like that. So when somebody's yeah. talking about they're doing a little bit cheaper, right then clearly they see value in what you're offering all you've got to do is demonstrate that over and above the gap between your fee and their fee and last week we, before we were talking to don marcel um i, I sort of wrote down an idea about like a, a two-part valuation and throughout i think actually throughout this year's episodes of of the show um a lot of the answers around what is world-class state agency look like to you have been around education and mm -hmm. helping inform any person that you're speaking to. It doesn't matter if they're a potential vendor, potential landlord, buyer, tenant, person in the street, right? You know, if you want to become their estate agent, as Matt Baldock was saying. And I think you do that through giving them information, asking them questions, and then clarifying anything that they want to ask you back. So applying that in a way of combating overvaluers is I'd slow the process down which may seem counterintuitive to some people listening because you sort of want to get in there, be a last agent out, lock them away, get the paperwork signed so that they can't go anywhere else. But actually, I think when people are hearing conflicting messages about how the property market is rising, maybe they've spoken to somebody who's had a bit of trouble selling or they bought something and they were gazumped or actually they were on the market for two weeks and didn't get that offer, then they're going to have a fair bit of nervousness and cautiousness. So to go in there, and I think actually the way in which you overcome <clears throat> not only their own uncertainties around moving, but the added challenge of uh, Barry down the road coming in and saying, I'll do it for 0.75 plus VAT or something like that, is you, you split the valuation, and I'm doing rabbit ears when I'm talking about this, in, into two parts. So the first part is that traditional uh, valuation with a focus on where they're going and everything like that. But that's the point where you get to lay a few landmines as well. So you'll go in there, you'll talk about where they want to move. You know, you'll let them know that you're just not just there to put a sign at the front, put on the internet and get them a result and then ride off into the sunset with your full fee. 
you're actually there to help them get everything done, whether that's being legally prepared, whether that's helping them tidy up their place, whether that is sales and marketing. But then you lay all those little landmines. Has anyone else spoken to you about this? Who else are you speaking to? And then I would, at the end, just say, we never advise anybody to make a decision here and now. It's, it's a big choice selling your house, let alone picking your estate agent. So talk to everyone. And then I'd really like to come back with you and sit down and we can talk about everything you've learned. And we can like try and do our best to answer any questions that not just came up off the back of our conversation, but off the back of anything else that you're seeing with Barry and, you know, Karen or whoever else they're going to see, right? And so- It will be first and last. Exactly. So you're bookending with best practice, right? So you're going in there and you want to be talking through everything that we sort of talk about on this show all the time, you know? So it's like, we're going to talk about our database. Has anyone else spoken to you about your database? You know, this is the sort of marketing that we put. We do professional photos. I'm not just going to pull out my camera and take photos and do a floor plan today because you know the person who's undercutting is like, I've got my kit in the car. I can do it today for you, you know, because we want to do it right. Doing it right is going to make you 10, 15, 20 extra thousand pounds. So you lay all those landmines, you do it properly the first time. And then when you get to the second, you sit down and go, right, what questions did you have? Not just from me, but from anyone else, because I can answer anything. And the idea is, You've shown that extra step and attention and care. You've not tried to sort of force close them, but you've done a few assumptive closes along the way. And yeah. I think that puts you in a better position because you're showing some care, you're showing some service. We're going to talk about service on today's episode to get the business over and above somebody who's just going to undercut you on fee and give them a better price. And you can also ask them the question, how have your price expectations changed since speaking to me, Barry and Karen? I, I, I think that's one of the big things when you, you took, you're in you're in this situation. I really like the idea. It's always sort of baffled me that appraisal appointment is the most important. People give it just an hour. I think it probably you know warrants and deserves a little bit more than that. So I think that's a really good idea to try and get in there. And we've started to talk more and more frequently about laying of those landmines, um, both off and on air, I think, to, to be fair. So I think that's really right. And you can actually then question the client on particularly on price, if there's a bit of overvaluing going on, and ask them their expectations. And as you say, how have they changed and why have they changed? And um, almost sense, sense check it. Because people know, people have an indication. And if somebody just walks around, doesn't go for any of the research and just says, oh, it's 15 grand higher than the fee that I said, then that's just their intuition. They've not been through it with the client and therefore the client won't have the understanding because they won't have had that education process. So I think that's really important. Um, but... Um, today's guest is now waiting for us, um, Sam. So should we dive in and introduce her? Today's guest says that she has officially been in a state agency since 2002, but like any good family business, she was put to work a decade before by dropping leaflets to make sure their local community got their regular property updates. She's here to talk about innovation, motivation, and what she's taken from her career so far to apply into the future as she continues to innovate and evolve her own agency. Abigail Gray, Director of Gray and Co. in Wembley. Welcome to the World Class Agency podcast. Morning. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Thank you very much for, uh, for joining us, Abby. I'm really interested um, with this first question, a bit of experience um, in family estate agency myself. So really interested to sort of hear your experience of family estate agency, how it's helped shape you um, as a business owner and as an estate agent as well, please. Um, I think... Much like a lot of the other people you've had on here, I kind of ended up here by default. Um, to coin a phrase, I heard somebody else say. Yeah, another one of those. <laughs> so I think as a young child, you know, you always have these things about, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. You know, I went through the stage of wanting to be a lawyer, wanting to be a boxer. But I think in the back of my mind, there was always something that thought might come and work with my dad. I had a massive fascination with being in an office. So uh, they'll often tell me stories of when I was much younger, because we've got a lady working with us. I actually used to work with my dad when I was very small and he would bring me into the office and I would come in and I'd run around and I'd be opening everyone's drawers, very interested in what was inside those drawers. I don't know if it was just because I like pens, I don't know. <laughs> but the fascination uh, never seemed to go away. And I found like just offices in general quite interesting. Um, what have I learned and what, what sort of brought me here? I, um, I hadn't planned, although I had a sort of a fascination, it wasn't, wasn't part of my plan. I think maybe 
even for my dad, it wasn't something that he necessarily wanted me to do to, to become an estate agent. And again, I feel the same for my child. I don't think I would like my daughter to be an estate agent because it's, it's very much an all-consuming life choice almost as opposed to just it's not a job and um, some uh, this is probably going to sound a little bit cheesy and maybe people will think this is trite but it is almost a bit of a vocation I think and um I, I, I ended up here like I said by default because I was at uni that didn't work out I left I went and tried working in publishing and that didn't really fit for me as well. And then I just was sort of in a bit of a no man's land and I'm not quite sure who said, come and work for me or can I come and work for you? Depends who you can't ask my dad anymore because he's not here. So uh, my sister says I asked him, I remember it, he asked me, but anyway. Uh, so yeah, January 2nd, 2002, I got my, got my desk, I got my hot box. We didn't each have computers then. And I just, I just like talking to people. I'd always been very good at building up a rapport with people. I'd worked in retail. Um, and actually, I think that that was one of the things that I had, I struggled with at university. I didn't make lots of really good friends and I didn't find a tribe. Whereas before, you know, and now I'm still friends with all the people that I was friends with before that. And I very much had a very strong tribe. And I think that's one of the things I really like in a state agency as well. You can build a tribe and now more so than ever, I feel very strongly that I have a tribe of people, both within my office family and in the outer, you know, the greater sort of world of a state agency, very much a tribe of like-minded people that I can, you know, that I can go to, I can get counsel from, I, I can also help, you know, and we help each other. And, I think that's just reignited a love for something that sort of in 2014, 15 was waning. Can I um, come back and uh, I want to ask you a question about your fascination with an office and how perhaps the last you know 18 months, maybe uh, you, how did you find that having to be so a bit disconnected from that tribe, perhaps at least in person anyway, and from, from the people within that office and, have, how have you found it? Chance has anything changed? Are you guys very much back to the office now, or have you adopted not any quite. sort of practice? Not, not quite. We're still working as sort of hybrid, where some people are in the office and some people are at home, partly because of childcare, partly because of you know COVID cases, partly because of isolation. So um, we're just sort of going with the flow. I think we do we do plan all to be back in the office, but I think COVID's given us a mindset of being more flexible in the future. So for example, if one of my team comes to me and said, can I work from home tomorrow? Because I've got loads of admin stuff to do and I really need to focus. Where before I'd been like, what? Now it's like, yeah, of course. If, if that's going to give you the time and the space, because being in an office is disrupting. And, you know, whether it's, someone's asking you a question, they're walking into your office or if you're in the front section of our office, which is open, you know, other people walking in distract you. And I, this was both um, like a downfall and, and, a, and a sort of a, a plus side of working in an office was that I was here, everything. So even from a young, you know, when I first started, like I was very aware of my surroundings, what was going on, what was being said. That's how I learned stuff. But that's also how I said, you know, sort of cemented myself in the business because I knew what was going on in everything. Being really nosy also helped because whenever something happened, I'd be like, Dad, what, what was that about? You know, and he's like, oh, you've got your flappy ears. And, uh, <laughs> and, and it's just persisted, you know. Now I try to keep myself a, a little bit withdrawn from a lot of the day to day, but I can't help it. I'm listening and then someone will come in and they'll ask a question. And I'll know the answer because I was listening into a conversation that somebody else had. Not, 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 I'm not eavesdropping. It's being, you know, head in the, in the open forum. And you just can't help yourself because you want to make sure that, you know, you've understood something and somebody else has come in and they don't know entirely what's going on. You want to help them and you want to make sure that it's clear. But that becomes a problem as well when you want to pull yourself away and focus on something and then you hear a conversation in the distance you're like oh, I better just run over and, and help those guys out and make sure they know what they're doing and rather than sometimes you need to step back and you need to let them 
figure it out for themselves. Mm. Is that I'm really interested in what you said about um, building a tribe and how you now feel that you've uh, built a tribe of like-minded people with, within your business more so than ever before. So I wanted to ask you a couple of questions around that. One being, how do you feel that you've got to a point whereby you've now got, by the sounds of things, the best team that you've ever had? How have you been through that recruitment um, process? And has that then made it easier for you to step away from getting involved in in those conversations, which, as you say, when it when you're in an open office, is so easy to do as a business owner. How how did I recruit? Most of them have been with me a long time. It it's just about relinquishing some responsibility to them and allowing them to step up to the plate. And it wasn't that I didn't yeah. trust them. Sometimes you think, well, that's my job. You know, I should do that. And it was almost like I was wrapping people in cotton wool. And I didn't, not that I didn't want them to do things, happily, I would let them do it. Um, and it wasn't, I think they didn't think they were up to it. Sometimes it's just, you know, how oh, they shouldn't have to do that. Um, but slowly I've been able to give more responsibility. You know, I've worked with mentors and I've learned, particularly from my dad passing away whilst working in the business, that if I don't delegate stuff, if I don't create the systems and processes needed for people to be able to follow tasks and then I'm forever going to be stuck here and if anything happens to me the business will grind to a halt so I had I knew then that I had to fix that problem and it's not fixed it's an ongoing process and I, you know systemizing your business is something that you never finish doing but at least you know by the end of the year I had to have every single little thing written down so that I can say to somebody okay you need, you're going to learn how to do this Here's the process. Here's the video that goes with it. Go through the online training. We'll go through it face to face. And then you can start doing it, you know, on a daily basis. So that's one less thing that I need to do on a daily basis. And I've been slowly doing that um, quite, quite sort of proficiently over the last six months. So compared to where I was six months ago, I'm doing far less of the day-to-day -day administrative stuff. I have had to hire people and you know and, and let people go and it didn't it didn't work out so it's um it's difficult I think when you first meet someone at an interview you can't tell what they're going to be like working for you and it's only when you get you know sometimes it's two years down the road and you're like whoa you're that person and um, and then you have to have those difficult conversations and help them step out of the business and I always try to do that um, and I had to I had to do it a couple of times in you know in the last couple of years. And I try and do it in the nicest possible way because you know I am a nice person. I don't like to hurt people's feelings. But there also comes a point where they themselves recognise that this isn't the right place or the best place for them, both physically, mentally, and for their career. And if you can have that conversation with their best interests at heart as well as your own, then it makes that slightly less painful. It's almost the right conversation to have then, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's not it's not just one-sided. Um, let's stay on the hiring, firing thing for a second because I, I, I find it, uh, you used the word about offices before, I'll use it now. I find it fascinating and I'm not very good at it either. So no, this, I'm not. <laughs> this is a question uh, personally, but also for the listeners, right? So, and I don't think it was cliche uh, what you said before about, about, um, estate agency when done well and when you do it for the right reasons feeling like a vacation um, and it's because most roles or most jobs or pathways whatever you want to call it you take that feel vocational you're dealing with people at heightened states of emotion you know yeah. um, and and that is what a state agency feels like you're getting people who want the most expect the most but almost fear the worst at all times you know, because there's such a lack of understanding. They don't do it very often. You know, there's a lot of trepidation there. So I, I don't think that's cliche at all. And I can completely understand that. How that relates to hiring and firing. When you're interviewing someone, do you say to them, this isn't a job, but it's kind of like an all-consuming life choice to, throw, to use your words back at you? Because I reckon that might weed out some of those people that two years down the line, you're like, shit. <laughs> Oh, yeah, oh, do you know what? That, I think that's a great point. I don't think I've ever quite said it like that. Mm. But but what I have said is, particularly when I'm, I'm interviewing people from outside of the 
industry, which is almost always, um, <clears throat> have said to me, you've got to realise in this job, you're not you're not just, you know, the role that you're being hired for. You're, you're part social worker, you're part agony aunt, you're part, uh, you know, counsellor. And some of the things that my team have had to deal with in terms of the emotional conversations they've had with people, mm. some, some grief counsellors wouldn't even be dealing with. Um, and we have also some, some older tenants that are, you know, octogenarian, and um, we almost feel like we have a, well, we, we do, we have a duty of care to make sure that they're okay if they don't have anybody else to keep an eye on them. So we will go over sort of once a month, pop in, make sure they've got everything they need. Um, I mean, I had, we had one lady where one of my team was going to see her weekly, making sure she had food. So um, it isn't, you know, anybody who thinks this is just a job, this is not the place for you. It is 100% a life choice, isn't it? Without, without a doubt. But yeah, I'm going to try that. Next time I interview someone, I'll explain, you know, how involved in people's lives you have to come and see if that makes them walk out the door or, or shut the Zoom call down. You're either going to find the the exact right person or, you know, um, or you'll actually um, move somebody on from just thinking they're going for another job interview into something that maybe they want to sink their teeth in. Like, I think talking about that level of responsibility that you've got to take on, you know, being a negotiator, like horrible word for starters because negotiating is such a small percentage of what they actually do and it doesn't describe what their day-to-day -day is everything that you've talked about you know again I think estate agent is a good word you are dealing with people's estates you have a responsibility to their estate and actually giving that the credence that it probably warrants would probably go a long way to sorry that I said probably three times in like 15 seconds there would go a long way into getting better people into this industry I think it would also help weed out the wrong ones. And that might be one of the reasons why I don't generally hire people um, or employ people that have previously been estate agents. Mm. Most of the time when I have, it hasn't gone well. And and I think also we, I once, I once described myself, and maybe this is a bit like arrogant, I don't know, um, as like the anti-estate agent. So I tend to employ people that aren't very estate agency. So we're not aggressive, you know, if you call us out to value your house, we're not going to phone you every five minutes until you give us the instruction. And, and maybe some of that is a negative as well. It means that there are much, you know, much more aggressive agents in our area. But I don't want to run my business like that. It's the same reason that my team, particularly now, I wouldn't expect them to go out door knocking. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but I just would not like to do it. Mm. And if I wouldn't want to do it, I wouldn't make I wouldn't want anyone in my team to go and do it if they felt uncomfortable doing it. So that's totally a personal choice. You know, there are agents out there that like doing it and fair play to them. Uh, I just don't, if you excuse the, the misuse of the word, I don't have the balls to go and do that. I've got balls to do plenty of other things, but not that. So we, we don't do things exactly the same. And I think we're trying, we're in a, in a sort of a flux position at the moment where we're trying to reposition ourselves in the marketplace and explain to people why we're different because that's one of the big problems in our area. How are, how are we different from everybody else? Because at the moment, there's very little to differentiate us from them. Once you've worked with us, you'll understand that. But trying to put those things into words the easiest way for me to say it to someone, and again, this sounds like really woolly, and I'm not a really woolly person, but we're nice. We are nice people and we are kind. So like, we're like, we're like we're the kindest estate agents that really do care. But until you've actually worked with us, much like hiring someone, because it's the same, isn't it? You don't know what that person's really like until you've worked with them. And trying to make that decision to work with that person is really hard. And if you... If that seems a bit woolly and you think, well, you know, do I just want to work with someone who's kind? Is that kind person going to be the best person to sell my house? Are they going to get me the best price? What we need to do is work out how those characteristics get to that end result that that client's looking for. And once we figure that out, which is kind of where I am at the moment, we'll have, you know, something to use in our presentations and our marketing when we're explaining to people who we are, why they should work with us, and why we're different. 
I wanted to ask a bit of a question about challenges in, in your marketplace. Maybe you've, you've just brought one of the major ones um, there about trying to differentiate yourself from, from the competition. If that is the biggest challenge, please let us know that you've got at the moment. But I wanted to find out what the biggest challenge in your particular market is at the moment and how you, you're working to overcome it. So if you've already answered, please pick the second. <laughs> no, there's another one. And this is this has always been a problem. And it's one of like, so these two things together have made me rethink sort of where we sit in the marketplace. So the other thing is overvaluing. Uh, and even when the market was crashing, not that it ever really crashed, but in 2008, even then, we were losing instructions for people because people were valuing like 2007 prices rather than 2008 prices. So we'll go yeah. out quite often and we're normally the most expensive almost the most expensive agent unless they've called out Foxton's um, and we'll probably have given them if not the lowest price the mid the middle price and yes. we do find again and this is probably partly because we're not differentiating ourselves well enough yet we do find that a lot of the time not so much lowest fee but people will go with the highest value understandably they want to get the most amount of money for their for their property and I think it's very important um, and again, this is something we're working on quite hard at the moment. When when we do lose that instruction because of that reason, that we make sure we stay in contact with those people. Again, in a nice way, we're not going to be telling that person, oh, you were so wrong. You shouldn't be putting your property on the market because they'll never come back to you. They'll never feel comfortable. So you support them in their decision. You just provide them with the evidence as to you know why you came to your valuation. You get them to sort of think about how that other agent got to that valuation. And if they don't want to look into the critical data, that's their, that's their choice. Because quite often what they'll do is they'll ask that other agent and the agent will say, oh, I sold that house down the road for X amount of money and it's just like yours and that's why I'm giving you this value. But where's the actual proof? Um, but again, people often hear what they want to hear and they want to get that price. And again, you know, like we said, these are not experts in doing this. These are people who are doing it once every 7, 10, 15, 20 years. And that money that they're going to take from selling that property, either it's going to buy them something else or it's going to set them up for the remainder of their, of their life. So, of course, they want to get the most amount of money. So overvaluing and lack of differentiation in the marketplace are our two biggest challenges. So that made me, a year ago, look at what we were doing and thinking, we don't want to be number one in our area on right move because number one means you've got the most amount of properties we can't facilitate that we don't have the team um and i also don't think it does the justice to the client what we want to be able to do is hold say 10 to 15 listings at a time and make sure that that person or, or the people selling their house gets one-to-one -one contact with our sales manager so he will deal with all of those and he will speak to them personally. They have his mobile number. They can call him anytime they, you know, they like. And generally, most people don't call after hours because they have respect for, for people's private time. But if they need him, you know, they'll text him. And he's quite happy to return a call on a Sunday if it's, you know, if they're if they're in a dilemma. And we want to make sure that they're getting the best level of customer care that we can give them. And if we've got 60 listings, we're not going to be able to do that. Mm. Um and we've also then got too much competition within our own stock levels. So I, I'm much happier being in that position and we're able to get higher fees based on the level of client care that we give. And the majority of people that we do business with have been recommended by somebody else. So the fee is almost, almost never a question. You know, I mean, we're not charging 2%, 3% like Foxton's. We're at around one and a half. But I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, and making sure that they're comfortable and that their questions are answered all the time is, is the most important thing. Especially if you're taking somebody, sorry, because um, the other thing we get is we get a lot of properties that have already been on the market. So if you're taking somebody who feels like they've been let down, they need even more handholding and care because they're bruised already. Yeah. We, um, we were speaking to a... a go on this show last week and one of the um, bits of feedback that I've, I've had off, off the back of that back to me most was that he, he said this one line that was like property isn't maths. It's not all about numbers. It's not all about 
valuations or fees it's about the care and show service that you, you show somebody and yes like they're willing to walk away from people who are overvalued or underpriced as well uh, under feed i guess is probably the wrong way of saying that and it sounds like you're in that same position but actually because of the level of care that you show people and because of the service that you put in that takes care of your next instruction anyway because you're going to get that recommendation you're going to get that referral and it's a form of natural scale that you know, Gray and Co can actually afford and can grow with, whereas Foxtons of the world, because of the overheads that they have and the neon lights that stay on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it's an expensive power bill to run a like agency like that, right? There's a lot of fridges. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know? Keeping so, all those bottles of water cool. Exactly. So um I don't think like I actually think that, that is that is your differentiator. You know, if you're sitting there saying, how do I put into words that were nice, you should tell that story about the lady you go and check in on every week. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, because there's going to be everyone's got a like, particularly if you're talking to, to families who are selling their home, you know, or people who are moving out of London, everyone's going to have a, a common story of somebody that they check in on. You know, if somebody tells me a story about their mum, I'm all ears, right? Because, yeah. you know, that, that's just what I can relate to. And you said earlier, you're very, very good at building rapport and you can get to know people really well. I think that is your strength. You know, you've just got to get in front of more people. And actually, it, it wouldn't come down to fee, I don't think. If you can sit there and show people that we were talking um, at the start of the show, and while unfortunately and very apologetically, we made you wait to, to join us for this, was um, we were speaking about how you can actually, Mark's going through similar stuff, uh, overvaluing, you know, fees that are quite frankly sound quite ridiculous, not quite sure how people survive. Um, and I was sort of saying, slow everything down. You know, if they're willing to say, I've got the camera in my car and I can get the photos and the floor plan done right now, go completely the opposite way and lay that landmine. I wouldn't take photos today. I want to make sure everything's right. We'll have a plan. We'll get things cleaned. I can come around and help you organize that. My team cam, here's the name of the best cleaner in Wembley, et cetera. And so all these little things as you're talking about systemizing and, and processing, um, imagine what it's going to look like in six months time. You know, you've yeah, done yeah. so much this time already, you know, it's great. So it, it's, um, I don't think they're insurmountable. And actually, maybe the good news uh, for every agent listening to this and for what you're experiencing at the moment, Abigail, is that it's pretty common and the best ones will just will overcome them because you're having conversations like this and you're putting into practice what you're doing. Everybody else is just kind of hoping that they'll have to price it higher or, or put their fee lower to compete with people like you who are improving. Um I'm assuming you listened to this show because you said you, you sort of knew how it worked earlier on. Um, so hopefully you know what comes next and how yeah. we, sort of, we sort of wrap I'm these up. I've been thinking about this all weekend. What am I going to say now? Nice. So what does world-class estate agency look like to Abigail Gray? Uh, I think it's about two things for me, really. It's, it's about the people. And like I said before, it's about the tribe that you build up within your organisation and then rolling that out outside of the organization because anybody that you work with should in the main become part of your tribe if they're if they're your people and it's about giving amazing customer service and your time and vocation because every time you deal with someone you leave a little bit of yourself with them i really like that every time you deal with someone you leave a little bit of yourself with them i think if you come at that with a, an attitude like that it will it must be incredibly difficult for people to say no to that if they're just getting someone else who is treating them a bit like a math equation you know this divided by this percentage equals this and i can get it done in this many days or i can get a price reduction in this many days you know um you mentioned tribe a few times uh, usually we don't ask follow-up questions after that one but i'm interested so you sort of said you've got your tribe in your office, but you've got your tribe in the wider industry as well who can sort of help. How important is that, the, the like-minded people within the industry to sort of help you keep going day to day, improve what you're doing, get you through the shit days? It, it, it's, it's everything. It completely changed my world. Um, you know, the rise of social media and my dad passing away and and then finding all these people who are in similar situations to me uh, was, was life-changing almost. I mean, that sounds like a big word, but it really did change everything about how I thought because I had fallen a bit out of love with, with the state agency. And I think it, it disconnected. You know, I was, I was disconnected both emotionally and physically from everything I was doing. And now I'm 
it's changing everything that I do. It's making me live healthier. It's it's getting me involved in sporting things. I mean, I was the fat kid at school. You wouldn't have seen me doing any sporting events. Now I'm doing like a, a walking marathon. I'm doing a um, 28 day headstand challenge because I want to be able to do a headstand by the time I hit my 42nd birthday. So um, it's not just about business and that's what the tribe is, right? It's about changing your whole outlook. And the people around me in terms of the other agents that, I, that, that are based in this area are very different. First of all, 95% of them are men. Um, and actually that's something we haven't spoken about, but I, I know we're running out of time, but being, being a woman in the industry, it's nice to, to speak to other women because I don't have that. I don't have other estate agents around me that are female, but that I know very well. So being able to speak to other women who have the same challenges that I do in running a business is, is really important. And also speaking to men that are on the, the other side of that, you know, that they're married and have got children and they're working all hours in their business, but then don't um, think about how that necessarily impacts on their wife. Mm. So it's, and the rest of their family. So I think just by talking to all of these people, it changes your mindset. And, it, you know, to know that you've had an impact on somebody else's mindset, it is fulfilling. We should ask, we should ask follow-up questions more often, Sam, because I really like that. I think that was so powerful to actually talk about um, how the tribe is affecting not just business, but personal life, health, and all of those things, which you know, arguably are much more important than, you know, the, the business and, and money and all of that. So that was really powerful. Abby, thanks very much for sharing that. Thank you. I think, yeah, I mean, and I'm, uh, maybe it is a good time to actually continue the conversation uh, because we didn't, we didn't ask any questions about being a woman in, in a state agency. Um, actually, I think um, you're a good agent first. That's why we wanted to have you on here, you know, but it, it's probably something that Mark and I don't address enough. Um, do you... How often do you think that you are the only sort of woman agent that's going out and valuing? I don't go out and value. Right. Okay. That's a bad question. Occasionally I will do if we're short staff, but generally I don't, I don't, right. I don't do that. I've managed to sort of detach myself from a lot of that. So I'm definitely more strategic than I was say a year and a half ago. Mm. Um, but I was in that position, you know, a couple of years ago. I was probably one of the only women in the area going out valuing. And it was very difficult early in my career because of the area that I work in. People don't, didn't see me, you know, in my early 20s. People weren't used to having a woman in a sort of senior position in a state agency. It was, it was unusual where we are. So I remember probably when I became lettings manager, for example, and I was 25, a guy came in and said, I want to speak to the boss. And it was a lettings thing. And I was like, okay, that's me. And he was like, no, I want to speak to the real boss. Like, um, it's still me, it's still me, mate. <laughs> um, and my dad would very much stay out. Like once I took over running the lettings department, he was the salesman. And um, if people had questions, he'd be like, no, you need to speak to her. She's, she's in charge of that department. And he wouldn't fight my battles for me. You probably knew he didn't need to anyway. Um, but it was challenging. I think less so now. And I think people know who I am now and they wouldn't dare come in and ask the question of, can I speak to the man? Because um, they probably get short shrift and marched out of the office. But mm. I don't think I was overly aware of how difficult it was being a woman in, in business. It isn't the biggest challenge I've ever had. In fact, managing family life is, is more difficult. But then I look at that and say, well, is that because? And I know the answer is it's because I'm the woman in, in the relationship. So managing my life, managing my family life, managing business is, is all more challenging because I have so many plates now as a woman to, to carry and to balance. Whereas when I was single, or before I had my daughter, it was less difficult because there were less constraints on my time. Mm -hmm. So now it's just about trying to find that focused time where I can do what I need to do so that that, that task gets my attention fully and then moving on to the next thing that I need to do, whether that's business related or family related. 
And so I've had to really be ruthless in structuring my time because otherwise I would just be all over the place all of the time and nobody would get any of the best of me. It's interesting the sort of um, juxtaposition between being nice uh, or like your difference at work. And I, I, I think this would translate between family life, work life, client life and to self is, is that what we want to do is we want to give that feeling of being nice. It is that all consuming life choice. But the only way you get to do any of that well is actually being ruthless. <laughs> but only with myself yeah yeah but that's that's the important thing right you want to give your best self to everybody because Absolutely. you feel that responsibility and actually the only way to do it, and this is i think the eternal struggle you know is is to everyone make sure yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's, 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 that's one thing that doesn't uh, discriminate and um, all of us are short of time and too many things to do yeah or well, actually too many things that we all think we should be doing, which comes yes. back to your point about systems. And I mean, I'm I'm the worst for it as well. And actually, it's only since feeling guilty for like being. And there's not much I think a dad can do for the first few months of of when they become a dad, right? But actually, you feel like just being there is is almost enough, so that somebody feed, like, feed your wife. That's what you can do. We we discussed <laughs> right. Her job was to keep the kid alive. My job was to keep us alive. And that was that was the role splits. And you know, touch wood, we're going all right. So. Yeah, I'm really glad actually we sort of had that that added conversation because I think it was really useful. And actually, there's going to be people listening to this, men and women, who might need to be a little bit more ruthless with what they do to give themselves a little bit more freedom doing each of those things along the way. So, yeah, Abby, from um, Mark and I and everyone listening, thank you so much. It's been really wonderful talking to you. Thank you for having me. Thank you once again to Abigail Gray from Gray & Co for joining us today. And Sam, as I said in the interview, I think maybe we, should, maybe we should start asking about world-class agency at the top of the show because that really pulled out some um, interesting comments. And as I said um, during the interview, I think she's talked with, within, you know, well, throughout actually about her tribe and how her tribe um, of people outside of her business as well as the tribe within a business is actually helping her personally. And she talked particularly about health, fitness, well-being, and all of that. And I wanted to just re- reflect on that for a moment because I think that's so important. You know, probably more important than the the business side of things in in, in many ways. And actually, if you can get within the right tribe, then that can have a massive difference to your business. There's the saying, isn't there? If you hang around with five dickheads, you'll very quickly become a sixth. And I say that to my team all, all the time that. Actually, it's the people that you surround yourself with that you know will dictate which direction your life goes. Abigail talked about it as a tribe, and I think actually that's really, really important. Probably one of the most important parts that I took out of today's interview. Yeah, agreed. I mean, um, I think it was the very first episode of this show where we talked about how, and I only know this because we went through and sort of listened to everything back from our hundredth episode, but. I talked about how there were a few things that surprised me uh, when I first got here um, at either end of like the good and bad spectrum. But the, the thing that surprised <laughs> me most at the really good end, this is back in 2015, I think it's only really compounded and accelerated now, was the openness to share between a, a segment of the industry. You know, the, and that, that, again, that's how you and I met. That's how I've met some of the yep. people that I would consider to be close friends now. Some who have actually met in person, others who I just know, friends from the internet, you know, never meet your heroes. But there is this, there is a tribe. That's the perfect word for it, right? There is a, a tribe of people who are all trying to build the best version of themselves, which happens to align with the best business they can possibly build to help people move on to the next chapter of life. You know, is that the state agency is not a job, but an all-consuming life choice, you know? Um, yeah. I sort of want to find a version of that to say to people in our job interviews to sort of weed out anybody from there. It, it does very much feel like it is a vocation because of how, not just how hard you have to work, but how constant you have to work as well. And, and um, if you think about other sort of vocational roles, you know, um, I used to go to church every day of my life till I was 15 years old. Um, and you go to like Sunday school or you go to like, church camp or something like that and there would be all these people from different areas come together to share whatever they learned right so that ethos of 
sharing and openness and willingness to help one another is really quite common in, in vocational work. Um, and actually, it's quite common in real estate or in estate agency in this country as well. You can tell I've been talking to Aussies all weekend. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and actually, it's, it's probably a really apt definition of it. And I would say that it is those, those Facebook groups, you know, of which there are a number of really, really good ones. Um, and yeah. it's where you meet like-minded people. It's where you find the people who are willing to go out of their own way to help you improve your own way. Um, and then you get to pay that forward. You know, I think it's clear that that's been a real crutch for, for Abigail and it's something that's actually helped transform her business and probably given her some of that time that she's quite ruthless with back. Um, yeah. And I think it's, it's really something that you need to have perspective on because it just doesn't happen. At least, you know, I know a fair bit about the Aussie market. I know a little bit about the American market. It doesn't happen there like it does here at the very least. Mm. It might happen within networks, but not across companies across regions across you know sometimes across countries given you've got scotland and wales poking around here as well you know so um yeah the more that you can do to support those tribes the better i think you know it's why we want to keep doing this show every day to give more people in those tribes a voice to talk about what works I agree. yeah i agree 100 and also you say it doesn't happen in in real estate i think you know, i have friends in in different industries and when we talk about this sort of idea sharing, you know, speaking to like-minded agents, giving up time and, you know, like you, I've now got numerous friends in the industry that I've either met or not, but had many conversations with. And people in other industries just can't understand it. It just doesn't happen. So, yeah, I think we're really lucky and long may that continue because, mm. you know, Abigail talked about the effect it's had on her business and hopefully, as you say, by you know, doing this podcast on a weekly basis, it just gives us that opportunity to give something back. Agreed. Um, one of the parts that I think was really, I guess, um, practical, like that was, that was, I think, um, some of the more um, ethereal is probably the wrong word, but it was, it was a, a place where we took that conversation that I think everyone can sort of relate to from an internal perspective. But I think what was really useful uh, that came out of that conversation was just the sort of pragmatism that, uh, Abigail has employed in her business to give everybody more time, not just herself. And I think that's one of the reasons and one of the ways I reckon business owners can get people to buy into structural change or procedural change is actually helping them realize it's going to give them more free time and give them more of that balance that everyone strives for in life. And, you know, she said 18 months ago, she was doing all the valuations. Now she might do a few every now and again if they're a staff on holiday. Six months ago, there was no processes in place. I wrote down a note that says, without systems and processes, you take key person out of the business and it stops. Um, and that that made me sit up in my chair a little bit because I'm, I, I'm the last person in the world that wants to write down a process or a structure, but I know we've got to have them. So we get everybody to do it. And we're, we're going through this uh, through our business at the moment as well, where everything gets written down. You know, um, it's not necessarily written down all in the right place at the moment, but it's getting there. And I think, you know, we've had to learn about how our business adapts and grows over time. And six months is probably the right amount of time before you start to see real fundamental change. And it's really quite heartening to hear for anybody who's thinking about going through this as well and processing and systemizing your business. You know, I think Abigail's got it right. It isn't just something that you do and then you finish and you sit back and you go, we're done. How good is this? Point. We've got processes, you know. She said something like, um, it's I think she said something like systemizing your business is is something that never finishes or is something you never finish doing. Always ongoing. Yeah. Always ongoing. Um and that's right. that's true, right? You know, it's not to say that you've got to be focusing on all the time, but actually there are always going to be little improvements. It's that Dave Browse of marginal gains. You know, you you feel like you've got to put in some real legwork to start it going you know it's like um old cliche of an airplane taking off that's what it feels like to to start those processes is you've got to wind everything up and everyone's got to go and you've got to get it off the ground actually once you've established what those systems what those processes are you've got everything written down you've done the videos i really like the fact that she did that as well then training becomes this scalable and repeatable process for everybody. And suddenly you've got a business that's got systems and it frees up everyone's time to be a bit more ruthless with their social life, which is quite exciting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if we talk about systems and processes, um, not on this podcast, but on the real estate 
Uh, it's not Asian's podcast. See, I've been talking to you too much. It's not Asian's <laughs> podcast. When Af- when Afad from Location Location came up, talk about why they were the best agent in the country, he talked about regularly um, O'Gapping. Yeah. It it's, it's always reviewing his process. And I think that is always ongoing. And if you always want to improve, then that, that will never stop. Um, but let's just, let's just finish with, by talking about Abigail's answer to World Class Agency, Sam. She, she said that it was about people, hmm. you know, getting your tribe right and then rolling that out. And, you know, we've, we've talked about that, but then just giving amazing customer service. And I think that's so important. It's not just about the people. When I mean, people say, oh, this industry is about people and you know, property, but actually it's more than that. It's about how you make those people feel, I think. And mm. I really liked what she said, when, she, in her opinion, she said, every time, I think it was something like, every time you have a, you, know, you, you deal with someone, you have an interaction, you leave a little bit of yourself with that person. I think that's a really nice way and something that we can remember whenever we pick the phone up, whenever we walk into an appointment, whenever we speak to somebody, how we make them feel will, you know, ultimately make them think about us in a slightly different way. When Abby first said that, my, and, and I, I sort of didn't write this down, but my immediate thought was, geez, that's a good line to use in evaluation. You know, so, um, and, and the more I've thought about it, the more I'm, I'm not sure that perhaps it is for everybody, but it certainly would be for someone. So you're trying to differentiate yourself against Barry. He's, you know, he's coming there. It's half a percent. He's going to take his photos. Everything's there. We're going to get 600. You think it's probably maximum of like 545. Who knows, right? Arbitrary situation. And someone says to you, what makes you different from them? Because you're all the same. And your response was we're going to work so hard for you that we're going to leave a little piece of you at the end of it. You know, now, I've said that out loud. I don't know that I necessarily like that. And this gives the <laughs> listeners an insight into how raw and real our podcasts are. But it is a really nice sentiment, I think, you know. And actually, it shows that you are giving your all for those people. You know, we've had everybody on the show. If you focus on the client's goals, you, you hit their goals, you hit yours, right? Yeah. You give as much as you possibly can to that relationship. You leave a little piece of you with them then they're going to make sure that you take care of your goals as well. I think that all your goals will be taken care of as a result. They don't actually have to lift a finger. It's just part of it, you know? So I think maybe I wouldn't use it now that I've said it out loud and twice, but the sentiment and coming at it from that mindset of I'm going to work so hard for these people. I am going to leave a little bit of peace in me and make sure that I achieve everything they need me to achieve that we've set out to do together. That is a really strong definition of, of what world-class real estate looks like. Yeah, I completely, I completely agree. And if you say it a third time, then it's yours. Sam, yeah. So you can have, you have to thank Abigail for, for that. Um, so yeah, massive thank you too once again for for joining us today, and thank you very much for listening. As you know, we do this because we love our industry. We want to see it improve and uh, get better. Maybe see that tribe grow a little bit as well. So mm. please do your bit in helping us grow that tribe. Um, if you do in, indeed like today's episode, you know, reach out to Abigail, thank her for her time, share it with colleagues um, and comment on social media. I'm Mark Worrell, he's Sam Hunter. Thank you very much. We'll see you again next week.